Hello? All good? All right. Thank you so much, Sierra, for bringing the message to the children. Good morning. Um, welcome to Big Woods. We are glad that you are worshiping with us. If you don't know me, my name is Stuart Redkay. I'm the family pastor here at Big Woods. I normally get the joy of working alongside an amazing team of volunteers as we minister to the children and youth. We're quickly coming to the close of the year, and it's been an interesting year. Through pandemics and problems, the blessing of children and the loss of loved ones, there's been a lot that has happened. Hence, we're, t- we're taking a bit of a step back. We're taking a step back from a weary world and its challenges to remember Christ, to remember his coming, to remember his promises, to remind ourselves of the hope and peace that we have. And this morning we get a chance to learn about the joy of Christ. But before we do that, let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the blessings that you give us each and every day. Uh, The blessing of your word, the blessing of a chance to worship you this morning. The blessing that your son was coming in in our place on the cross. As we talk about joy this morning, I pray that you give us clear minds and clear heads that um, we can understand the nuances of it. We pray that your word will be faithfully proclaimed as we work through some challenging passages as well. And I pray that you would guard what I say, that everything would be in accordance to your word, and that as we walk out of here, we walk out with renewed joy and a love for you. In your name we pray, amen. So we're talking about joy a bit today, and we need to tackle a particular question, I think, before we get into sort of like the meat of the message. What is the difference between joy and and happiness. Because so often we use those words um, interchangeably with no distinction whatsoever between them. Both certainly have, you could say, a, a good feeling attached to them. But what's the difference? Happiness is momentary. It, it's attached to blessings or the good things in our life. Whether that's a great meal, a, a vacation we once took, time with friends and family, or an amazing Christmas gift we got in years past. It's temporary, it's momentary. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it eventually fades. We, we forget about that amazing meal, we forget what we got for Christmas last year. Happiness fades. All of these things fade in our mind. Happiness is therefore a temporary state of mind. Joy is a little different. As described by one author, it's much weightier. It's more durable. It comes from confidence in a future that God controls. Knowing that we cannot be separated from a God who is working everything for our good. If you would turn with me to Romans 8, 28. Um, we're going to be jumping through a couple different passages today. So we'll keep you on your toes. They should be listed at the bottom of your bulletin as well.
Romans 8.28 exemplifies this, this aspect of joy. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Joy, we could then, then say, the distinction between joy and happiness is joy is the confident assurance that God is in control. The confident assurance that God is in control. This is how James can say in James 1, 2, and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's not that James, when he's talking about these trials he's facing, he finds trials pleasurable. Or he finds that trials make him happy. Rather, we are able to find joy, even in the midst of trials, as we recognize that God is working things out through them. He's working good in them. Even when, and maybe especially when, they're particularly difficult. In summary, before we move forward, happiness is temporary. It's attached to things of this world. It isn't bad, but it's lesser when compared to joy. Joy being the confident assurance of God's control. Regardless of what the momentary, the temporary situation or affliction we're in. And joy can be found through Christianity alone. There is no other option. There's no other place that we can seek after. There's no other set of beliefs. No other religion, no philosophy that comes close to offering the joy that we have in Christ. Let's consider this for a second. Atheism, the philosophical stance that there is no God or gods. To an atheist, you live your life, you might get old, you die, and then you rot in the ground. The end. That's it. There is no greater significance. Your life, individuals have no greater significance. Shakespeare's Macbeth almost gives us a picture of this when he says, Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. To an atheist, life is entirely nihilistic. It has no meaning, no significance. There's no joy, no hope, no peace. Nothing is available. Maybe that's too dark. Let's uh, consider humanism. That's quite popular today. Humanists would view themselves as having a progressive philosophy of life that empowers humanity to live lives of personal fulfillment that aspires to the greater good. I say that not in mocking them. That's actually one of their definitions of it found on their websites. But is that joy? Is there an assurance of future confidence or future peace or even merely happiness? I'm going to make the argument of no. Much of the 20th century, the horror of two world wars, weapons of mass destruction, genocide by governments, human trafficking, and much more evil should make us very suspicious, very skeptical of any joy, any peace, any hope, even morality coming from a humanistic perspective. Okay, maybe we need to consider another religion. Is there any other religion outside of Christianity that can offer joy? Let's consider Islam. Grand Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, he is, you could say, the pope of his particular branch of Islam. Um, so he has the position and knowledge to speak on this. Said that Allah, their God, did not create man so that he could have fun. 
There is no jokes in Islam. There is no humor in Islam. There is no fun in Islam. Those are his actual words. That sounds, that sounds bleak. There's no room for fun, no room for happiness, no room for joy. What about Christ? What about Christianity? What does the Bible say? I'm going to jump through a couple passages. Isaiah 65, 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. 2 Samuel 6.14 talks about David dancing before the Lord with all his might joyfully. Psalm 126.2 speaks about the Israelites' mouths being filled with laughter and their tongues with songs of joy. Nehemiah 8.10, he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ecclesiastes 8.15, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. There's joy to be found. And maybe stop out, think about this example. Jesus' first miracle was not to destroy the wicked or even to perform miracles while teaching. I mean, if I was in his position, I probably would have done that, like a miracle while teaching. But Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine for a wedding party. This does not strike me as a joyless God who wants joyless followers. As Christians... We don't descend into nihilism as atheists or to morbid bleakness as with Islam. Rather, we can joyfully love God, live life with joy, with happiness, with gladness, enjoying our God, but also the blessings that he gives us in our life. We serve a God who created humor, a God who created laughter, a God who gave us the capacity to make jokes, have fun, play games. A God who encourages us to find enjoyment in our work, to find enjoyment in rest, to find enjoyment in food, to enjoy life. Now, we've got to pause for one second. All this in proper balance, in, in the right perspective. Hear me, I'm not advocating for some kind of a prosperity gospel. We serve God regardless of the physical blessings that he gives us. But God did intend for us to find some enjoyment in life. He created us not only to have the capacity to find happiness in life around us, but also to have a relationship with and ultimately find joy in him. This is how David can sing in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Following Christ is not easy, but it is not meant to be joyless. Again, God allows us to find enjoyment in life, but we are called to ultimately find joy in him. Now, there's one topic I think we do need to tackle kind of head on. Joy is to be found even in spite of suffering. Because let's be, let's be brutally honest. It doesn't matter that we're in the Christmas season right now. 
joy may seem hard, if not impossible, to come by for many. Some of us have dealt with the loss and death of loved ones in the past year. Some of us have struggled through fractured marriages and relationships. Some of us feel overwhelmingly alone and lonely in this season especially right now. Some of us have struggled with depression or anxiety. And some of us have received that phone call from the doctor. We have your test results back, and it's not good. Joylessness may seem to many to be a much greater possibility than joy right now. I I don't want to diminish that in any way. As much as the Bible encourages us to take joy in God and his blessings, it also warns us there's going to be trials. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be suffering. So please hear me. This message is not intended to, to make you feel shame over this. We're called in Scripture to weep with those who weep. But I want to encourage you as well, you're not without hope. You're not without joy. Remember joy, being the confident assurance that God is working things out. The book of Isaiah is not necessarily a cheerful book. It has some passages that foretell Christ's coming, but as a general whole, especially the first half, it's not really a cheerful book. Turn to Isaiah 35.10 with me for a second. If you were to divide the book of Isaiah in half, the entire first half is largely about the coming invasion of Israel, judgments against nations, and even a section announcing earth's destruction and desolation. As a whole, it paints a pretty bleak picture of life and the situation Israel's in. Yet in the midst of all of this, there's also joy to be found. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. In the midst of judgments, in the midst of invasions, in the midst of even, yes, coming destruction, There's joy and assurance from God. Will we experience sorrow? Will we experience suffering in this life? Yes. Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, and so many other passages attest to this. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that life is going to be easy if we follow God, or it's going to be without struggle or without challenge. But sorrow, grief, pain, Suffering, disease, sin, death, and every evil in this world have an expiration date here on this earth for those who have trusted Christ. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
regardless of the suffering you may going through, be going through, regardless of the pain, regardless of whatever is happening, if you know Christ, that is a promise that you can cling to tightly. Not only to find peace, but also even joy. Does that make suffering instantly easy? No. But even in the most bitter, darkest moments of our lives, we can hang on to the promises made to us in Revelation 21, 3, and 4. That one day, if we know Christ, we will be with God. He, we will live with him. Our Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father, will wipe away the tear from our eyes. We will be comforted in his presence, never more to experience the ugliness and evil of sin and death again. It's a promise we can cling to. It's a promise we can lean on, that we can wrap our hearts and minds around with every fiber of our being, especially in times of suffering and trials. So, joy is found through Christianity alone. It's found in spite of suffering. But ultimately, joy is found in Christ and his gospel. Ultimately, joy is found in Christ and his gospel. I don't know if ultimately is in your notes, but you can like circle it, you can like put a big star next to it, whatever you want. But it emphasizes this for you. If you have colored pencils with you, like put it big and red. Joy is found in Christ and his gospel. Why do I say this? Scripture. At Big Woods, we have a high view of the Bible and its authority. It's our basis for everything that we do. And the Bible tells us this story about God and us. That God created the universe, our world, and everything in it. He created mankind to have a special relationship with him. And this relationship was perfect. But mankind sinned and rebelled against God. We now stand in judgment as sinful mankind before a holy and just God with no capacity to make this relationship right by ourselves. If I stopped right there, midway through a, you could say, a mini Bible summary, does that give us reason for joy? No. That, that, that's not joyful. That's not good. That's, that's a horror story. Us, as sinful, evil, vile, fallen, unholy, dead in our sin humanity have rebelled and sinned in the face of a holy, righteous, just, and all-powerful God. We are in deep trouble. Now comes the greatest two words ever written, at least in my opinion, from Ephesians 2. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus, who would be born to a virgin and laid in a manger as an infant. Jesus, who, the, the very Jesus who we take time to celebrate at Christmas. Jesus, who would grow up and go through his entire life completely sinless. Jesus, who would show love and grace and teach sinners like you and me while he was on this earth. 
Jesus, who would be falsely accused, sentenced to death, who would pay the penalty that we deserved on the cross. And Jesus, who would then rise again, defeating death and sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our reason for joy. That God sent his son, Jesus, to take our place. But not only just joy, but great joy. Why is this such great joy? Well, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, Jesus' birth, they said, I bring you news of great joy. Why again is it such great joy? Matt Smith, her answers. The joy is great because it's for all people. The king in the manger will not be stingy with his mercy. In fact, he's on a mission to rescue every kind of rebel. This means Jews and Gentiles. And yet, by extension, it encompasses every, from the greatest to the least. Sovereigns and shepherds. Billionaires and beggars. Missionaries and murderers. The pious and the profane. If you know yourself to be morally and spiritually bankrupt... You're not incidental to the Savior's mission. You are central to it. No matter who you are or where you are, these are glad tidings for you. That even in our sin, God loved us as sinners enough to send his son in our place. It's something we can never deserve nor pay back. It's a gift. It is the greatest gift we will ever receive. And it is our greatest and ultimate source of joy in our lives. Can can we enjoy things that God gives us, food and time and jokes and everything? Sure. But they pale in absolute comparison to the joy that we receive in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we can have a good relationship with God again. Because of what Christ has done, we're now his children, not his enemies. Because of what Christ has done, we can have joy. And that is something that nothing in this world, no trials, no persecution, nothing can take from us. The joy that we can have in having a renewed relationship with God through Christ. That is our ultimate source of joy. What Christ has done for us, and we can have confident assurance in God's plan. And we have an opportunity to remember it with joy this morning at the communion table. Communion is so often viewed in a solemn fashion. And that is correct. It's right. We should view it solemnly. Because it's our sin. Our sin is humanity which made it necessary. But it's also a time for joyful reflection as well. Not on what we have done but on what Christ has done for us. We can find joy in that. Um, When Jesus first taught this to his disciples, he did it so that they would remember. We are so often forgetful people. So he gave them this, as you could say, a picture lesson for them to remember what he was about to do. The night before Jesus' execution, he took his disciples, his closest followers. He gathered them together and they went to dinner. After dinner, as they were sitting down and talking, he took out unleavened bread and wine. 
he took the bread and he showed it to them and says, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. He tore it and passed it around. Do this in remembrance of me. He, he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out for them. He said, this is going to be my blood which is going to be poured out for you. If you're visiting with us today and you've placed your faith in Christ, um, I want to welcome you as a brother and sister to joyfully remember what Christ has done for us. I, I do ask them, I don't mean to be rude in any way at all. Um, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, I, I'd ask you to please uh, refrain. Um, it would be meaningless to go forward. But you can right where you are now. If you don't know Christ, you can give your life to him. Confessing that you're a, sa a sinner and asking him to be Lord and Savior of your life. And if you don't know what that means or you want more information, grab me after the service. Grab any of the elders you see at these tables or just grab the person beside you and say, I want to know more about this Jesus and who he is. And we would love to talk to you. If the elders would come forward at this time, um, there's going to be stations um, around the sanctuary and they'll serve you the bread and the cup there. We're going to take time to pray over both of them while, after everyone is served and then take them together as a church family to remember Christ, his life, death, and resurrection and the joy that is now ours because of him.
Thank you, brothers, for serving us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope, the peace, and the joy that we have in our relationship with you through your son. This isn't because of who we are, but because of your great love for us in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Let us not walk away forgetting that, but to desire to spread it to the world around us. We ask as well that you would comfort those who are suffering, that even in the midst of it, you would make your presence overwhelmingly known in their lives, and that we as your body would come alongside them as well. As we remember your son and his sacrifice for us, help us to look solemnly upon our own sin, which made it necessary but joyfully upon you and your love for us. You have loved and given us far more than we ever deserved. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. That night, the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It says that afterwards, they sang a song together. So I'm going to invite the worship band to come on up again. And I pray that as we leave, we don't forget the joy that we have in Christ.